Welcome to Step 1 Success Stories by Physio, Episode 23. If there's one thing I can really say that I struggled with, it was insecurity with having a different study plan from a lot of my peers. And so my biggest piece of advice would be if you find a particular study plan that you think will work well for you, that you try and is working well for you, even if it's different, be confident and stick with that. You're listening to Step 1 Success Stories by Physio, the playbook of those who dominated the USMLE. If you want to learn how to excel on Step 1 and get into the residency of your choice, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join the thousands of others who have mastered Step 1 concepts using physio.com. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode. Today we interview Nick, who is a third-year medical student at the University of Illinois College of Medicine. And to help me with this interview, I'm here with my co-host, Rhett Thompson. How's it going? So good. What's the latest with you? Well, the other day, it was my son's birthday, Oliver. He turned three. And we went to the fire department because he's like obsessed with fire trucks. And so anyways, I have this brother-in-law who is a fireman. And it was just super cool. We got a ride around in the fire truck. He turned the lights on. He let us like go up on the ladder. <laughs> and oh man, Oliver was just in heaven. So it was a pretty good time. That's so cool. I love that kids like fire trucks. Just something about that's so classic and wholesome. So that's cool <laughs> that you were able to do that. Yeah. And I just wanted briefly before I introduce our guest, who was awesome, I want to let everybody know that we have our antimicrobial pharmacology being released next week. And that includes a lot of drugs that aren't covered in Sketchy Farm. So look forward to that coming out. So today's guest, as Michael mentioned, is Nick. He's 25 years old, and he's originally from the suburbs of Chicago. And he's currently an MS3 at the University of Illinois College of Medicine. Now, something interesting about this episode was that he actually didn't finish any of the question banks. Like he didn't finish Kaplan, didn't even finish UWorld, which it's kind of unusual. And he and I joke that's kind of uh, heresy, what he did. But it wasn't for lack of caring or laziness on Nick's part. In fact, he worked super hard, but he just had his own system that just deviated. And to really drive home the point that he's done really well and it worked for him, he got a 258. And the lesson here is that you can have a study strategy that deviates a lot from the norm or what's popular and still do very well. And so I feel like Nick is just this beacon of hope for people who want to take a different strategy because it can work. You just got to work hard at it. So you're going to love what he has to say. Let's bring him on. So thank you, Nick, for jumping on this show with us. We're so happy to have you. I'm more than happy to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time to have me here. Of course. So why don't we just start from the beginning? What got you interested in medicine? What got me interested in medicine? It actually wasn't until around halfway through my undergraduate experience that I found myself really interested in medicine. I knew going into college that I was really interested in math and science. I always had been. And the biggest drawback for me with medicine for the longest time was that I didn't have enough math, which most people you know, cringe when they hear because definitely the oddity and how much I really enjoy math. But it wasn't until I really shadowed during my second year and just appreciated all the people, just appreciated the thought process. I was really torn between medicine and engineering at the time. but it was the deductive reasoning, the clinical skills, et cetera, that I think got me interested enough to commit to medicine over engineering. And then it's just obviously snowballed from there. 
That's awesome. And you're right. That does kind of make you an unusual case because you wanted more math out of it. <laughs> Most of us would suffer through it. <laughs> so that's awesome. That's cool. So I'm glad that ultimately medicine was able to persuade you that it had what you needed. You and me both. <laughs> so you grew up in Chicago. I'm guessing you did undergrad there. I actually did undergraduate in North Carolina out on the East Coast. And that was a really good experience. But all of my education prior to college was actually in the Chicago area. To all the people that are from Chicago, I say I'm from Chicago. I'm not technically from Chicago. I'm from a suburb. And in the Chicago area, if you say you're from Chicago, but you're not living directly in the city, you get a lot of shade. So I had to clarify. But, you know, for all intents and purposes, I'm from Chicago. (laughs) I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah, I spent several years in St. Louis and... It's kind of like a similar situation. A lot of people just say like, ah, from St. Louis. And they're like from a suburb that's just outside of it. You know, an hour away or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And everybody outside of the state just thinks, oh, that's great. That's helpful. I'm familiar with the name St. Louis. Thanks for not telling me some random city. And they're okay with it. But everybody that's close, they're like, that's not St. Louis. That's not even close to St. Louis. So I'm with you. But that's awesome. So you're in Chicago now. You're in your third year. And what rotation are you on? I'm actually in the middle of family medicine right now. So it's schedule definitely permits my ability to join things like this podcast in contrast to something like surgery. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad that we were able to catch you in a slightly more flexible rotation. So now you're done with step one and you clearly did really well. I want to jump back to when you actually started med school, what you were thinking your study routine was going to be like, what your mindset was like in the beginning and how your study routine evolved over time. So let's just start with that beginning point. Where was your head at when you first started? So my mindset going into medical school was that it was going to be more challenging than any studies, any academic pursuit I'd done up until that point. And it was going to present its own challenges. I was going to have to learn a lot of different types of material. I was going to have to learn in different ways. And I was going to have to put it into practice with you know clinical skills and everything. And so I knew it was going to be different than studying for any class I had in undergrad. So I was really open-minded, I guess, with different ways to study. And everybody knows that within the first few weeks of medical school, you're flooded with a ton of advice and a ton of information. Whether that's your orientation days where you're talking about everything from which student interest groups are available to financial aid to student affairs and when you should be studying for different tests and all that to hear all these resources you have available. And somebody who hasn't heard the names, you know, Boards and Beyond, Zonkey, Pathoma, First Aid, and all these different textbook names, and then your school is probably throwing lecture materials at you too. It's a flood of information. And so I knew going into it that I was going to need to spend a lot of time just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And that process would definitely, it wouldn't be an overnight light switch that goes on and you suddenly know exactly what's going to work best for you. So as far as how I was actually studying prior to medical school, my best way of actually studying was doing practice problems. It was trying to apply concepts I knew and seeing where I fell short and then focusing on those particular areas. And when I was trying to learn them, a lot of times it was watching videos on the topic or listening to people talk about the topic rather than reading a textbook. So I definitely knew going into medical school that that would probably be my preferred way of studying. But I didn't really know how to navigate all the different resources to see which would best fit my style without actually trying them a bit myself. Sure. Yeah. And that's really insightful that you recognize you just 
kind of need to do practice questions from the beginning and then supplement with videos. And you also had that wisdom to know that you shouldn't really just be spending a bunch of time reading a textbook and that there's such better ways to do that. It works for some people. So I'm not going to say it's, you know, not an option, but I knew it definitely wasn't the best for me. Yeah. And that's the most important part is that you kind of recognize how you learn. Like you mentioned, with some people who really do learn that way, it's equally important that they recognize that they should continue doing something like that if that's their style. And so that's really hopeful that you have that going in. Thinking back to the first month, did you start doing questions like from a question bank or was this just kind of your general mindset that you wanted to do questions and then you just kind of eventually did that? Yeah, it was more a general mindset as I was just trying to figure out what all the different resources were. It wasn't until probably a few weeks or a month into medical school that I even really knew what like UWorld was. And I was still trying to navigate, you know, what's Firecracker? Should I be using Anki? What types of flashcards? Or if my school is providing practice questions because we had, you know, weekly quizzes and there were some practice questions for that, are those going to be effective? Should I be studying primarily for my school's quizzes? Or should I be using step one prep material? Should I be using PowerPoints that they provide for their lectures versus boards and beyond online videos? I didn't find out about boards and beyond until many months into med school. And it wasn't, you know, before maybe a month or two in that I found out about Pathoma. And I definitely didn't have my ideal resource set up until further down the line. So knowing I like to do practice questions, I tried to find a way to integrate some practice questions in my day-to-day. And for me, that was whether or not I should be using Anki or Firecracker. And I actually tried a bit of both. I really, really love Anki. I'd actually been studying Japanese for a couple of years prior to medical school. And that was where I first used Anki to help with vocab and everything. And fun fact, Anki is actually the Japanese word for memorization. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, that's the origin of the name of the app itself. I had a lot of success with it in that context, and I wasn't sure how I could translate that to medical school studying. And, you know, obviously the concept, the foundation is the same. You do flashcards every day to review concepts, but the material is so expansive when it comes to medical school. I tried to make my own flashcards and I just couldn't keep up. And so it was a process of talking to other people, seeing if they had decks, trying to make my own cards, trying to find out which decks would fit for me best trying a few of them, et cetera, and, and comparing that with trying Firecracker as well, because if many of you have tried Firecracker, I know it's not as popular. The questions are a little bit more practice questioning rather than fact recall, like a lot of the Anki decks are. That was probably something that I was most keen to try early on to scratch that practice question itch without properly diving into a question thing. Okay, just to clarify, so Firecracker was able to scratch that itch or are you just referring to flashcards in general like with Anki oh I was referring to flashcards in general I tried both Anki and Firecracker for the first couple months of medical school gotcha okay yeah and I have some experience with Firecracker in fact back when I was doing my preclinical years that was the biggest thing is Firecracker in terms of flashcard apps and things like that because Anki just wasn't as big it's really gotten big the last couple years and there's lots of pre-made decks and things like that that have just really made it so nice for so many medical students. Right, right. It's so much more convenient. Yeah. And I really like the style of Anki and its base repetition. And Firecracker has so many of those things implemented into it as well. And I guess it's based on that space repetition model as well. But I agree with you that the questions tend to be a little bit different. And, you know, I can see why somebody would end up just choosing Anki. So did you do any pre-made decks with Anki? 
Yeah, so I did Zonkey. I actually properly started Zonkey towards the end of my first year. I spent a few months trying to make my own Anki cards based on the lectures that we were going through. I spent a lot of time actually going through the materials that our lecturers provided for us to prepare for different classes we'd have, whether it was the PowerPoints or you know textbook readings, etc. And I tried to make Anki cards based on them. There was Osmosis available, which had certain functions. You can make flashcards based on you know PDFs or PowerPoints you upload to it. So I was really trying to experiment with a lot of that. But I would say I really finalized my Anki plans when I committed to Zonki in probably... Actually, no, I know exactly the date. It was May 14th, because that's when the Blue Galaxy expansion got released. I had heard you know, rumors of this upcoming deck, and I was like, all right, all right, I'll just wait for this to start, and that's what I'll go with. And I was really happy with it. So That's awesome. So May 14th, this big point in which you use this Zonki with the Blue Galaxy. Can you help us understand what the Blue Galaxy expansion really added? Yeah. So a lot of this information is available on r slash medical school Anki for those that want to dive into it a little bit deeper. But when the original Zonki was released, it wasn't in its final form yet. It wasn't fully finished. There's only so much time in a day and Zonki wasn't able to put all of the information they would have liked to into the deck. Over the years, multiple updates have been made that finished particular pathoma chapters, added particular concepts that weren't complete and finished. And I believe the user's name was U slash Blue Galaxy, who came around and integrated all of these updates that had been made over the past years, and then added a whole bunch more information from other resources, whether it was, I think it was like the Michigan Anatomy deck or Cadaver deck or like Nutritionado, like nutrition information and some from like Costanzo's, like basically taking a whole bunch of these golden resources that maybe weren't digestible to someone like me who doesn't like reading textbooks, who doesn't retain stuff very well from reading textbooks, but took a lot of the golden diagrams from those books and integrated them into the Anki format and made them accessible. And that's kind of what that big update was. Now, I know since then there have been even more updates that have been made. I think. Recently, my girlfriend's in M1 right now, so I'm kind of still in tune with the arms race of Step 1 resources. There's recently like an Onking update, which added a bit more information, but more importantly, organized it all and made it a little bit easier to correlate or unsuspend cards with class information, kind of cleaned up the organization and all. So that's also out there. But yeah, if you're really interested in getting some Anki decks, you can find a ton more on r slash medical school Anki. That's really helpful. And I know that the Onking has put a lot of work into really refurbishing and just polishing a lot of those awesome aspects to Zonki. And I've heard great things. So you started Onki. And then did you continue that all the way through your second year up to taking your test? Or how did this fit into your overall daily scheme? Yeah. So Anki was something I did every single day up until a week before my step one exam. And it's Something that a week after my step one exam, I started to pick up again for my third year rotations and everything. My school had a little bit of a shorter, like phase one is what it's called, where we had about a year and a half of preclinical years. And then we took step one. So we started our second year in rotations a little bit earlier than some older curriculums. But yeah, it was just part of the daily routine. I tallied up, you know, the number of cards in the deck and counted the number of days until I was taking step one. 
and divided the two and looked at how many cards I'd have to do each day. And that's what I set it to. And there were certainly days where I didn't meet that goal. And there were days as I got closer to step one where I had to ramp up the card count to make sure I was meeting my goals. What I'm interested in is hearing how you balance this with your classwork. Because I remember earlier you were just mentioning that you had to decide how much you were going to emphasize classwork and how much you were going to emphasize step one prep. And what did you end up settling on? How did you balance this? Basically, it sounds kind of sad to say, but I ended up prioritizing step one studying over a lot of the class specific preparation. For most of the lectures and everything, we were given PowerPoints at a time to review. We were given textbook pages to read over or modules to complete or something like that. And more often than not, as I approached the end of my first year, and especially, you know, throughout all of second year, I would identify the topics that were being or that we were supposed to prepare for. And I would find those relevant topics in step one relevant materials, like Sports Beyond or Omar or First Aid. And I would review those prior to those lectures to have some sort of a context so that I can get more from those lectures. But I wouldn't spend anywhere near as much time really delving deeply into the preparation resources that were provided by the lecturers themselves and instead would a lot more of that time to doing Anki, which became much more time commitment while I advanced with it. Yeah. And I know a lot of people make that same choice. And I know I ended up doing the same thing. And I'm curious for your situation, did that impact your curriculum or school test scores, grades, or anything like that? And if so, was it worth it? Tell me about the trade-offs and kind of what you experienced there. So I felt pretty bad about it at first because I felt like it was somewhat disrespectful and I felt like I should be preparing you know, specifically for the lectures and the materials that they take the time to point out. But I didn't really notice that much of a drop-off in how I was scoring. And that was the first reassuring bit. It was maybe not that I was missing a few details here and there that they had wanted me to learn or expected me to know from the classes or the lectures, but it was that the foundation, right, the main concepts that they wanted us to probably glean prior to the lecture itself were probably what was emphasized in those step one resources anyways. And so I didn't actually notice much of a trade-off with my score. I wouldn't say I did better on my in-house exams after starting to focus primarily on step one relevant materials, but it certainly wasn't a major drop-off or anything like that. I wasn't concerned about doing below average on my in-house exams after making that transition. And so it actually wasn't as rough a transition as one would expect. I think it was just really kind of having a heart-to-heart with yourself and identifying which resources are really going to be the most important in the long run, which ones are really most effective for me and utilizing your time appropriately. So it sounds like it was a very well-calculated decision that ended up benefiting you. Ultimately, you obviously did really well on step one, and now you're in the third year and you know aspiring to ENT, and you're just going to go wherever you want. And that's exciting. So I'm curious, what question banks did you end up doing? And at what point did you integrate each of them? I definitely did UWorld. And that's, you know, the gold standard that almost goes without saying nowadays. I also did a little bit of Kaplan, but honestly, probably my biggest regret when we talk about step one prep and dedicate and everything is that I didn't leave enough time to do all the questions I wanted. I definitely underestimated how much time would go into doing practice questions and how much time I'd be spending on doing Anki leading up to the exam itself. So 
when did I start doing UWorld? It was really only a couple months before the exam itself, which is surprising, right? Because I mentioned that doing questions was one of my best ways of studying. However, I had this image in my head of, oh, if I want to do these questions and utilize them to the best of my ability, I should do all of my studying beforehand and then validate you know, what I know and what I don't know with these UWorld questions. And I'll get the most out of UWorld if I've done a ton of studying before I even start UWorld. And as a result, I ended up putting off starting UWorld and I didn't end up finishing it. So that was probably my biggest regret with one prep. However, I did prior to then use a couple question banks that I didn't consider as gold. And there was the Kaplan Q Bank. There was USMLE RX. I did a couple hundred questions in each of those. And that was probably the few months leading up to my dedicated period. So we're talking probably four or five months out from the exam itself. Wow. That's some heresy you're speaking there with not finishing your world. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> no judgment here, obviously. You did well. But even if you didn't... No judgment, just heresy. <laughs> that's right. Just heresy. Wow, that's really interesting. So you didn't finish any single question bank. Is that right? That's true. Okay. And then you didn't start any question bank until it sounds like the last few months prior to dedicated. Right. Okay. So one thing that a lot of students struggle with, and I know I did when I was in my preclinical years, I actually had a very similar mentality as you. I was thinking, let me save this gold so I can make sure I understand the material to its core and just apply it and let me do all the preparation now. And I ended up doing that. But the problem was I ended up having to like really relearn a lot of stuff because I didn't understand it the way that I needed to until I started doing questions. And I was like, oh, okay, so I wish I would have incorporated these earlier. It would have made these last few months a lot easier for me. But it sounds like you obviously understood the material leading up to that point. Is that true? I do think I had a pretty good grasp on a lot of the concepts prior to dedicated, prior to starting some of the QBanks, especially UWorld. But you're definitely right in that doing the questions, actually applying the concepts gives you so much practice with making sure you actually understand everything, that you can apply critical thinking skills to the knowledge that you learn you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, that I do think it is a really good idea to get practice question involvement going earlier in the process. And like I said, that's probably one of my biggest regrets. It manifests in not finishing UWorld, but even really throughout most of the preclinical time, I probably should have been using some sort of a QBank. And in my opinion, I think Kaplan would probably be the best for that. USMLE RX generally helps with solidifying first aid knowledge. I would say Kaplan is particularly good at solidifying clinical reasoning or critical thinking applied to the concepts you're maybe learning in class, et cetera. And I think UWorld is the gold standard for doing that. But I would recommend saving it for at least a bit closer to step one time but maybe not as late as I ended up starting to use it. Your story and what you're explaining here is just another example of how different things can turn out for so many different people. And then everybody takes a different approach. Nothing is gospel. You deviated from the norm and pulled it off. I think that's cool. And I'm actually really glad that you shared that because I think it's really helpful because a lot of students, especially when you're in your first couple of years, you end up being worried that your routine has to be exactly mirroring somebody who went before you or you won't succeed. And that's not true. You know, there's take the principles, apply them, and then you can figure it out. Flexibly apply them to whatever your preferences are, your skill set, your individual needs are, and you can make it work for yourself for sure. 
very well stated and you can flexibly apply them. I think that's very well put. So did you end up taking any practice exams such as NBMEs? I did. It was 10 weeks before my actual step one date. I took CBSE and I got a 210 on that. But I didn't take my first, I guess, like true assessment until about four weeks before the exam. Honestly, a lot of that was probably due to anxiety. I took six weeks for dedicated and I wanted to take an exam. It was always something I like to do to like kind of gauge where I'm at. But at the same time, I was really anxious and really nervous to get a score back that was going to be like, oh, you've got a long way to go, kid. (laughs) So I delayed it. I delayed it. And then it was probably like four weeks out when I took my first proper practice exam. And that was the UWorld self-assessment one. And I got a 258 on that, which was reassuring, although everybody listening to this has probably looked into some of the stats behind it and know that over predicts by 10 to 15 points. So I knew that going into it and coming out, but it was still somewhat reassuring, right? And there's a lot of data on Reddit in particular that tracks outcomes based on when you take a particular practice exam and what score you get. So that was kind of helpful to track my progress throughout Dedicated as well. After that, NBME 19, three weeks out, so one week after that first practice exam, I got a 234. That kind of rocked me to my core a little bit. It's not a bad score by any means, but coming after the 258, I was like, wait, I studied an extra week. And I know NBME 19 tends to underpredict and UWSA 1 overpredicts, but it still was a little unsettling. And then a week after that with NBME 18, I got a 244, which I was like, okay, this one is you know the most accurate and when trending when i was taking this exam relative to when i'd actually be one and knowing that i had a couple weeks i was still feeling okay i'm still on a good trajectory and then i took nvme 16 one week before the exam and i got a 255 and that was a sigh of relief and then five days before the exam itself i took the free 120 and got an 86% and then three days before the exam itself, I took UWorld Self-Assessment 2 and got a 260. And then I took the exam itself. Okay, sweet. And then you ended up getting a 258. Is that right? Yep. Ironically, the very first practice exam ended up being my final score. Yeah, that's super interesting. So you took two UWorld exams. The first one was 258 and the second one was 260. Yep. And then you ended up getting a 258. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like UWorld was actually more predictive of your score than the NBMEs were. Yeah, I know a lot of the NBMEs have good data behind them too. I know that UWorld Self-Assessment 2 is generally considered one of the gold standards for it, or at least at the time that I was taking the exam as far as predictivity. But I think if anything, you look at the scores and based on how much they overpredict, underpredict, it's really just a work in progress throughout the whole thing, right? Ideally, by the end... I was reassured that one week out, you know, my NBME score was like a 255. And then my UWorld score was like a 260. And I was probably going to end up somewhere in between the two. And you did. That's awesome. So you ended up taking several of those exams. And just to reiterate, you took your first one, did you say 10 weeks prior to your test? I took a CBSE. I think it's Comprehensive Basic Science exam. I don't know if that's what you want to consider a practice test. It was like my entire class had a mandatory practice exam in that regard. But as far as like an actual step one practice exam, it was really four weeks out. But the CBSE was, I think it's comprehensive basic science exam, was 10 weeks out. Gotcha. Okay. So that's impressive. You even put the MBME tests off to four weeks. So you're like kind of putting off the question banks, your world to the very end and the MBMEs to the very end. I think that's awesome. Well, the thing is like, there's so much to get through and 
I realized that I wanted to ideally be taking an exam at the end of every single week. But after I'd get done with that week of studying, I would be really anxious and feel like, wait a minute, I wanted to take this exam after I feel like I actually got to every concept I wanted to beforehand, and then it'll be the most accurate. It's like trying to take an exam where you haven't finished studying all the material that's going to be tested on that exam, right? I didn't want to waste it in that regard. And as I mentioned, the new world, I didn't end up using them all. (laughs) So listen to my story and learn, everyone. You got a humble approach and you rocked it. I think that's awesome. I'm glad it turned out well, but is not to say it was perfect by any means. That's what's so strange about these tests is it's just such a spectrum of scores. You can get any digit and nothing is perfect. There's just awesome scores. There's like categories like that's an awesome score or you crushed it. And so it's not perfection that we're striving for here. It's just to get a score that's awesome that can get you where you need to go. And I want to talk briefly about your aspirations to go into ENT. And I don't actually like using the word aspirations because it sounds so condescending. Like I'm talking to an eight-year-old that wants to be an astronaut and you're like, maybe, you know, but no, you're going to get into ENT. So what I want to ask you is where do you want to go? And then the follow-up question is, did you do any research or anything else in your preclinical years to kind of build up your resume? As far as ENT goes, I actually probably only solidified that specialty probably a month ago, which sounds kind of crazy. Up until that point, I'd been really torn between plastics and ENT. I think early on, if you asked me, it would have been plastics 100%. I didn't even realize ENT was a surgical subspecialty. But for me, it was learning that I really liked reconstructive surgery. Ironically, the very first time I talked to a plastic surgeon, asked about reconstructive surgery and what it's like and, and everything, my initial reaction was that it sounded like a proof to me, which just talks to you know, the math nerd that I am. It's about taking a set of resources and conditions or rules with which you apply different functions to those initial resources to get some sort of an outcome that's predetermined. And those resources, the conditions, that outcome vary from person to person. And so it's about creatively applying problem-solving skills, which to me is math in a nutshell. And so that was probably one of the things that stood out to me the most. And then I eventually learned about head and neck reconstructive surgery. And as time went on, I think... My anatomy interests, as one of my faculty mentors put, are definitely from the clavicle up. So I think that's what got me more and more interested in ENT as I learned more about what that specialty actually does. And recently, it's really been about interacting with the different specialties and just working with whether it's on my rotations or electives or spending time shadowing these different physicians, just figuring out their personalities and how much I enjoy being around them. And That was, for me, the difference maker between plastics and ENT, probably. As far as residency goes, I do have some pretty specific goals in mind. My partner is out in North Carolina right now, so I think that's where I'm going to try to aim. I also went to Duke for undergrad, and so I'd probably like to go back there specifically. Again, you know, matching anywhere in ENT is pretty difficult, so it's hard to say that I want to be choosy at all, but I think... There are a lot of places I could see myself doing well in. So I'm not, well, I'm nervous and I am worried. But I think that if I match somewhere, I'll probably end up just fine, even if it's not my ideal. Yeah, and I totally understand that attitude. You know, you're like, I really want to get into ENT. And if I could choose, if I could make more choices after that and get like what I really want. But you're not greedy. You're like, I just want to freaking get in. (laughs) These are some places that I like. I know what you mean. So Thank you for sharing your story and I wish you the best. It sounds like you're going to go on to do great things. And I feel like 
just talking to you in this interview, any residency interviews are going to go quite swimmingly for you. And I think you're going to do great. And I just want to ask you, is there any last words of advice you want to give to any of the students that are preparing for step one? Thank you so much for the kind words. And yeah, if there's one thing I can really say that I struggled with, it was insecurity with having a different study plan from a lot of my peers. And so my biggest piece of advice would be if you find a particular study plan that you think will work well for you, that you try and is working well for you, even if it's different, be confident and stick with that. For me, it wasn't doing multiple pass-throughs of first aid. It wasn't reading first aid on end. I didn't watch all of Pathoma. I watched the boards and beyond. That was for me. And like I said, I was doing you know multiple hours of Anki every day and UWorld. And that's very different from a lot of my classmates. And I struggled with a lot of insecurity with, is my plan the right plan? Is it enough? Is you know everybody else doing this because it's better? And am I going to suffer as a result? But if you find something that's working well for you, even if it's different, that's okay, because all that matters is that it's working for you. So that would be my biggest piece of advice. And thanks again for giving me the opportunity to share my experience. I know it's pretty atypical, and that's part of why I wanted to share it, to show that there are a lot of different ways to achieving your goals with STEP. And I hope that those who listened did learn something. And if they want to reach out, feel free. I'm more than happy to talk some more. Well, thank you so much for your time in sharing all that information. Have fun finishing up your family medicine rotation, Nick. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it, Rhett. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to go to our website at physio.com to check out our growing library of free Step 1 videos. You can also find our physio group on Facebook to join our growing community of students preparing for Step 1. If you've been enjoying the episodes and have been getting value from the content, here are three easy ways that you can support us. One, press the subscribe button on the platform you're listening to this on. Two, leave us a review. To do that, just go to physio.com slash podcast. Three, find your friends who are in medical school or interested in medical school and tell them about the podcast. Thanks for listening and join us next time.